helps to turn on the mic. Good morning. Good to see all of you guys. How are you? Are you, uh, are you 4'8"? Okay, so where are you on this, uh, this whole thing here? Okay, that's a good question. Where are you this morning? Uh, if you're a guest here today, I want to welcome you. We are right smack in the middle of a series called Think 4-8. And, and this whole idea is we're focusing on a scripture in the Bible, a verse, a very important verse in the Bible by the Apostle Paul. And I really want to go over it again and again. I don't know how you're, you're tracking with this, but uh, here it is. Let's say it together. Okay, say it with me. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about it. So what are you thinking today? Uh, and it's a choice that you make. Uh, that all of us make. And so we've been talking about this for the last three weeks. If you've missed any of it, you can go to our website and you can watch. Let me do a short, short review. If you're a guest here, this is what we do. We want God to be in in control of our thoughts uh, because if he's not in control, uh, who knows who's gonna be in control and it can get kind of crazy and you see that all over the place. But week one, we talked about, anybody remember? Marshmallows. Marshmallows. We, we, uh, we talked about, uh, you talked about, I wasn't here, but you talked about marshmallows in the marshmallow test. You remember that? What are marshmallows? Marshmallows are those things that we kind of chase to give us satisfaction. In fact, I saw some of the tech guys in the back. They've got these, these puffy white powder donuts. Okay? Those are the adult version of marshmallows. Okay, man, when you put one of those in your mouth, you feel really good. But when it's gone, what do you want? Another one. And when that one's gone, that's why Steve had three of them right there on the desk. Okay, sorry, Steve, just letting that out of the, out of the bag there. God doesn't want us chasing marshmallows. Uh, he does not want us chasing joy. Because we weren't created to chase joy, we were created to have joy. And that's what he wants to put in our heart today is that I want to give you joy that's not based on your circumstances, not based on what's going on around you, but I want to give you something inside. That's what we talked about in week one, and that's what we're after in this series. Week two, we talked about the brain, okay, and how we're wired. And we talked about two parts, very important parts of your brain. Anybody remember the front part of the brain? Man, you guys are smart. You're learning stuff in church. You're smarter than people in school. Prefrontal cortex, okay? Right here, that's that red part. And then the, the, the part here in the middle, anybody remember? Limbic system, okay? And they're very, very important parts. And what God is trying to accomplish in our lives is what? Balance. And when, when we are living balanced between the prefrontal, the PFC, and the limbic system, guess what happens to our lives? They're stable. We make good choices. There's joy. But when does that happen? It happens when the Holy Spirit, which God gives as a gift to a person who turns himself over to him, and and gets his sins forgiven and gets baptized in the name of Jesus, then he receives the Holy Spirit. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we achieve balance. When we're not balanced, when the limbic system is in control, what happens? 
it gets pretty, pretty emotional, okay? Uh, it's pretty crazy when the limbic system is in control. And then if the PFC is in control, it gets crazy also because you got, you know, it's very rigid. There's not a lot of joy. And what God's trying to accomplish is that balance. And then last week, this, sum, this sums it up last week. We talked about this, uh, 45 minutes and one image. This is our plan in life. We want it like this, don't we? But God's got another plan, and, and the plan, maybe we can make this just a tad smaller. God's plan is this. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a crazy ride. Which plan will you grow through? See, here's the problem with our plan. We don't grow. We don't change. See, and God wants to do something special with you. And so that's why he's trying to shape something in you, and we're going to talk about that today, is your character. He wants to develop in you perseverance, and perseverance what must do what? Finish its work in you, because you are a great work in God's eyes. So let him do it, right? Go ahead and go on the journey. It's a lot more fun. And you know what the nice thing about this one down here is? You don't have to go at this alone. Isn't that cool? We got company when we go down here. All right, we got company, and I'm glad I got company through my ups and downs. Okay, so we've been talking about this uh, 4-8, and it's all about joy. How important is your joy? Your joy is so important. It's not just important to you. It's important because your friends, friends, friend is depending on your joy. And we're going to see that in vivid form today. Your friends, friends, friends depending on your joy. And it's not just you. And God wants to create in us joy. So we're gonna look at this verse, and you probably heard it before, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Okay, do not be misled. Now let's say this part together. Bad company corrupts good character. How many of you heard that when you were growing up? Maybe not exactly like that, but your mom or your grandmom said what you say. Don't hang around with them. Stay away from her. Right? Stay away from them. Why did she say that? Why did she care about you and your character? Because she loved you. And we know this. The people we hang around with, they can affect our lives. And they can affect our joy. So I'm going to give you a, a... a challenge today, ask somebody at work, ask somebody at school and say, hey, have you ever heard the phrase, bad company corrupts good character? And if they say, yeah, I've heard that before. Do you know where it's from? And then you can be all smart and say, I know where it's from. It's from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Okay, so turn to your neighbor and say, I'm smart now. Okay, I'm smart. Even if you're a guest here, you can now be, now you know, you know so much. You know some really important wisdom. I'm smart. Now, here's the second part of that question. Okay, now this is where it's going to get interesting. Okay, now that you know so much, ask the person, am I good company? Do I, do I improve your character? Am I leading you in a good direction? Show some humility and ask them that question. Okay, am I good for your character? Am I good company? 
Uh, now, I want you to do this now. This is a little uh, experiment, okay? Not experiment, but it's a, it's a, you know, just an exercise. And I want you to close your eyes and think of somebody. Now, no nudging, no poking, no elbowing. I want you to think of somebody in your mind, in your past, in your life that had bad character. Think about him. Think about her. Okay, you got him in your mind? That person had really bad character. All right? Got him in your mind? Now open your eyes. Let me ask you a question about that person. Were they joyful? Were they joyful? Maybe they were happy on occasion, but were they joyful? Did they have joy? Here's an interesting thing. When you have character, it produces joy. It produces joy. It produces joy because joy is stable. You see, sometimes we, we confuse joy with pleasure. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Big difference. Pleasure is quick. Joy is stable, strong, consistent. It's something that it's, it's deep, it's powerful. Okay? And, and what, what does God want for us? He wants you to have joy. But joy starts with your character. Do you know how good this verse is? Do you know how awesome this verse is? You can tell a verse is really awesome because you can flip it. Okay, you can flip it. So let's flip this, this verse. Okay, I like this one. This is the 4-8 version of, of 1 Corinthians 15. Good company improves character. Good company improves character. How's your company? Are the people that you are surrounding yourself with, are the relationships that you are involved in creating good character in you? And you don't have to be one of those people that's like a victim that says, oh, well, I don't have any choice. Of course you have a choice. You had a choice since you were a little kid. You decide who you hang around with. You decide who are going to be the people of influence in your life. And if you're smart, if you're using your PFC to make these kinds of decisions, your prefrontal cortex, you're going to say, you know what? If I want good character, I'm going to surround myself with good company. Man, I wish I'd have known this when I was a kid, or I wish I would have listened, because my parents did tell me, don't hang around. Now, here's the reality. I had other parents of my friends say, don't hang around him. For real. They told me, or they told, I heard about it. Don't hang around with him. Guess what? I was not good company. And that's also a responsibility that you and I have, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. What do you bring to the table? In your family, in your marriage, in your ministry, in your relationships, what do you bring to the table? Do you bring good things into the relationship? And what God wants to do is improve our character. What is character? Character is the way you are designed to be, okay? That person that God designed you to be, the, the, the original design, okay? Your character, it's who you are. If you, somebody says, you lack character, they're saying, you lack the stability, the strength to keep going and to do what you were designed to do. You know, I don't have good character. Well, God wants to change that. 
And you can look at your life and look at your track record, and this is God's objective. He wants to create good character. So Paul finishes, and he says this, come back to your senses as you ought, and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Now, interesting thing about this verse, I want you to see if you catch it. Sin in the Bible, some of us think of it as a list of do's and don'ts. Sin in the Bible is real. When God says something is sinful, it affects your senses. It affects your ability to perceive and make good choices. It affects things around your life. You can no longer perceive. It distorts sin, distorts your senses. You're not living, acting, seeing, thinking the way you were created to think. Now, pretty obvious things, when you're under the influence over the line with drugs and alcohol, does it affect your senses? Absolutely. You do and say things that you normally wouldn't do, but sin is the same thing. It has a negative effect on our lives. And I want us to be smart, not to be anti-religious and we try to rationalize like the world does and say, well, you know, that's, that's churchy stuff. No, 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 this is, this is stuff that, that, that science is just now figuring out as we're gonna see today. These behaviors, these things that you do negatively affect your life and we're gonna see this in living color. So Paul is trying to say this to a church the church in Corinth, what was the context of it? Church was, the church was great in some sense. It was a big church, a lot of followers of Jesus, but they were getting, there were some people in the church that were getting off track. What were they saying? They were saying that we like Jesus. Jesus has got some good teaching, but we're not, we're not totally there with the resurrection. Not sure about that. In fact, don't think it happened. That's what there was going on in the church. And because they said there's no resurrection, they said, you know, we'll try our best to do what's right, but, you know, if there's no resurrection, what's the point in doing all this stuff that's good and uh, let's just live it up and be crazy and have fun and eat donuts? Donuts and marshmallows, because it really doesn't matter. Right? That was what was going on. And Paul's saying, hey, wake up, come back to your senses. And if you, you want to know about the resurrection, you got to go back to our Easter message. And, and we, don't believe, we don't believe in the resurrection because the Bible says so. No, it's much more than that. We believe in the resurrection because the apostles, Peter, James, John, Jesus' brother, James. I mean, what would you have to do to get your brother to believe that you're the Messiah raised from the dead? That'd do it. But if you notice something about James, James never believed in Jesus as the Messiah until a certain event took place. Then he became a leader in the church. He was cynical. He was a non-believer. But the resurrection did it. See, we believe in the resurrection because of the testimony, the witnesses that saw it. 400 witnesses saw Jesus after he was crucified. So it's much more than the Bible says so. It's about evidence. It's about testimony. 
the same things we use in a court case. But this is what was happening in the church, and they were getting off track and saying, Paul, hey, listen, Paul's saying, get back on track. So I want to show you guys a video. How important is your joy? It's vital. This is a study where science, once again, is catching up with what the Bible has been talking about, what the scriptures have been talking about for thousands of years. So let's dim the lights and let's hear what the scientists have to say about joy. Okay, we'll start over. Volume, thank you. If we do something to make another person happy, do they then do the same thing for somebody else? In fact, new evidence suggests that happiness may be as contagious as the common cold, that it can be passed along from person to person, and that it can travel farther and faster than anyone imagined. This is Framingham, Massachusetts. In 1948, medical researchers began tracking the residents of this town, trying to learn about the behaviors that cause heart disease. Their work continues today. Known as the Framingham Heart Study, it's one of the world's most extensive epidemiological studies, containing six decades worth of data on the health of more than 15,000 people. And hidden in this mountain of data is a deep and powerful secret about the nature of human happiness. Your happiness depends upon whole large clusters of people you don't even know and, and who you have no way of knowing. Nicholas Christakis is a physician and a sociologist. He became interested in the Framingham study not because he was interested in heart disease, but because he was interested in social connections. These individuals had had their social network ties repeatedly assessed over this 32-year period, and as it turns out, had had various aspects of their emotional lives assessed as well. So what we could tell is we could tell who these people were connected to every four years or so for 30 years, and we could tell, for example, whether they were happy or depressed or lonely, uh, and in some cases anxious, repeatedly across time. Using the Framingham data, Christakis and his colleagues mapped out a web of more than 50,000 connections between friends, family, and co-workers who participated in the study. Then they began to calculate how changes in the happiness of any single person affected the happiness of others in this vast web of relationships. The results were astounding. What we found is that if your friend becomes happy, it increases the probability that you will become happy by about 15%. And if your friend's friend becomes happy, someone you don't even know, perhaps, it increases the probability that you'll become happy by about 10%. It's only when we get to four degrees of separation, only when we're speaking of your friend's 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 friend, that that person's emotional state is no longer associated with your emotional state. Everyone knows that people can make each other happy. But before this study, no one had any idea just how powerful this effect could be. Christakis's work shows that happiness spreads through social networks like a virus, that happiness is, in a very real sense, contagious. There's no doubt about it. We're all connected. And those connections exert a powerful influence on our happiness. Sometimes they can even save our lives. Okay. Pretty fascinating, isn't it? It's fascinating, it's exciting, but it's also frightening. See, because 
The power is you and I can affect people's happiness. And as he said, your friend's friend's friend can be affected by your joy. How vital is your joy? It's crucial. But here's the flip side of it that's terrifying. If you are a black hole of joy, meaning you just suck the joy out of any environment that you're in. I mean, you just, when you walk into a room, joy just evaporates. Because you're one of those people that, you know, and hey, here's got news for you. Christians can be like that. The Pharisees had problems with Jesus because they had no joy. And they said, who is this guy? You're not supposed to be happy if you're religious and dedicated to God. You're supposed to be disciplined and hard and, and you've got to keep the law and you've got to pray and you just got to grind it out. That's not God. That's not who he is. So let me ask you a question. What do you bring to your environment? And what does God want you to bring? And I want you to understand, God understands what brings joy. See, the scientists are figuring out happiness is contagious like a virus. Remember the Ebola, Ebola virus last year, how people were freaked out about that? Remember that? A couple people were sick and, you know, it was, it was crazy. Even today, nurses, they regularly prepare for a contagion type of virus. A scenario where it, it gets out of control. They can't control it. In fact, there are a couple of people, not to scare you, but there are a couple of people that have gotten sick with a bacterial disease recently that can't be controlled by antibiotics. There are no antibiotics that can stop that bacteria. If something like that gets out of crazy, gets out of control, we're all in trouble because there's no cure for it. Now. That's just to get you a little scared, but I want you to think about the way God, the, the way God intended, like he said, what if our joy is the virus that changes the world? I mean, you saw it. It spreads like a virus. It's all over the place, meaning if each one of us here decided today that we're going to be four eight thinkers, we're going to allow God to influence our lives more than, and we're going to get sin away from us because we realize sin is what's going to ruin our lives, and we're going to be 4 eight thinkers. We can affect and save lives. And what he said is absolutely true. People died in my environment as a, as a teenager because of bad decisions and bad character. They were at the wrong place at the wrong time, hanging around with the wrong people, and their lives ended. At 16 years old, 18 years old, what a tragedy. But what if we take our lives and we insert them into environments like our work, school, wherever, and there's joy, and people notice, they go, hey, you're sick with something, and I want what you got. Give me some of that. And you share with them your testimony. You share with them your foundation. And so this is, this is the idea that we're trying to do. And I, I want to share with you a quote from a famous person. Now, you young people will not know who this famous person is because he's before your time. You might have heard of him. 
But he says something really, really powerful. I mean, it's prophetic. When I am in my addiction, I hate the people who love me, and I love the people who don't really care for me. When I'm in recovery, I love the people who love me, and I don't really care for the people who don't care for me. That's profound, isn't it? That sounds like somebody who's experienced both sides of addiction, of substance abuse. Very famous person, and just so you know, very famous people are dying because of substance abuse. But look at what they're saying about their relationships. Look at what they're saying about the the kinds of relationships. Guess who this person is? Anybody have any idea who this, this quote comes from? Anybody? Played a guitar, very, very famous. Here he is. Johnny Cash. Man in Black. He has a very dark story because most of his life he struggled with substance abuse. But at the end of his life, he was in and out of recovery for a long time, but at the end of his life, he lived in recovery. He died in recovery. Meaning he, he set it aside for a number of years. Towards the end of his life, no drugs. No substance abuse. And he would participate often in Christian gospel campaigns and these big meetings. And because he was there, he influenced people to go, wow, if that's what Johnny Cash is saying, I better get my life right. Because they liked his music and some people kind of idolized his lifestyle. But let's just, let's just pick apart this quote. When I'm in my addiction, or you could change this, when I'm in my pornography, when I'm in my alcoholism, when I'm in my anger, fits of rage, when I'm in my impurity, immorality, how does it affect the people that love me? I hate the people who love me. Now, you know this, some of you. When you're in sin, do you feel close to God who loves you more than anybody has ever loved you, wants only good for you? Do you feel close to him? No, you feel distant. And the people that are caring for you, trying to help you, trying to, you know, get you going in the right direction, you hate them. And this goes on in our ministry. The very people that God is trying to help mentor us and steer us in the right direction, we push them away. And we never really realize what the root of it is. It's your sin. I love the people who really don't care for me. Now let me ask you a question. That girl on the other side of the porn website, does she really care about you? Does the bartender really care about you? Does, you know... The people that you're hanging around with who seem to be having a lot of fun, are they going to be there for you? Do they really care for you when the chips are down? They're acquaintances. And we know this. He hit it right on the head. This was his life experience. Johnny Cash. He's nailing it. These people really don't care for me. And then he goes on and says, but when I'm in recovery, another word for recovery, repentance. Repentance. When I'm in repentance, 
when I'm getting out of that stuff that's harming and hurting my life, when I'm getting out of it, guess what? I love the people who love me. I connect with them. I feel closer to them. I feel the love of God coming down in my life. And yes, he's helping me. He loves me. He forgives me because I'm in repentance. I love the people who love me and I don't really care for the people who don't care for me. Isn't that interesting? Those good timing people, you go, "Ah, they're not good time for me. I need to get away from them. Let me show you a picture. Uh, Let me just show you this. Let's break it down. Addiction and recovery. Why are we talking about that in church? This is an AA. You got to understand, it's a parallel. Sin and repentance is the same as addiction and recovery. Guess what, as a church, we're all in recovery. We're all in recovery. We're all in repentance. If you don't have something to repent of today, you are clueless to what's going on in your life. There's something that God is trying to bring to your attention. Hey, I want you to change this because it's harmful. It's hurting you. It's hurting your relationships. Get it out. Get rid of it. Now, let me show it to you in a, in a, in a picture. Bad company corrupts good character. Now, here we have this guy right here, this guy in the middle, and look what he's got. This is called his circle of influence. These are the people that are influencing his life more than anybody else. Who's in this circle? He's got a couple guys that he works with, call them worldly friends. This guy here, he's a weekend warrior, meaning he only likes to drink and party on the weekends. This other guy here who he works with every day, okay? He's got pornography going on in his life. It's very subtle because it's regular television pornography. You know, it's cable. It's very popular programs where they just slip in a little soft porn. It's not heavy, you know, magazine, triple X movies. No, this is just a soft stuff that slides in that messes up his mind. And drugs and alcohol, this could be a slippery slope because the stuff that he's taking is actually prescription. The doctor gave it to him to yet let him use it. He's got a prescription but it's ruining his life. And he's got the Bible here, and look at this. He's got his mom and his dad. He's got disciples, people from church that are around there, but they're on the outside. He's not allowing them in to influence his life. And here's his spouse. She lives with him in his house, and she's outside of his sphere of influence. What's that say? I mean, obviously his character is going to suffer for this. Now, let's flip it, okay? Good company improves character. That means I'm going to make some some intentional choices to have the right people in my sphere of influence. And see, some of us look at the Bible here. We go, yeah, he's got the Bible a lot closer. He reads it every day. Do you know why he reads it every day? Because he wants his mind to be influenced more by God's word than the word in the media, the word on the street. And some of us have this idea that, well, I don't have to read the Bible every day. Trust me, you got other stuff being pumped into your brain every single day. TMZ is out there and on your mind a lot, and it stays, and they're very smart, and they're trying to influence your mind to make bad decisions. 
And you got to look at the end result. So I read the Bible every day, not because I have to, but because I want the Bible, the Word of God, to influence my mind. And it does. It changes the way I go out in the day. It opens my eyes. It's very sobering. I need the Word of God in my life every day. Now, he's got the disciples, and guess what? He's got his wife and his son. They are in his sphere of influence. His worldly friends are right out here, okay? He understands. These people are not good. He's got porn out, outside the sphere. He's got drugs, alcohol. And you can use a lot of different scenarios here, but you get what I'm saying. Bad company corrupts good character. Good company improves character. Now, you got to make a choice. What kind of life and what kind of friends are you going to have? And not only this, what kind of friend are you going to be? What kind of friend are you going to be? Now, when I was a teenager, I didn't know this. Or, in fact, I didn't accept this. So who did I decide was going to be in my sphere of influence? Cool people, pretty people. the ones that the world, and here's something that, that happens. Your limbic system, okay, that's the center of your brain. Your limbic system chooses safety. Now, I put safety in quotations because when you're at a party and you're high and you're drunk, do you feel safe? Absolutely. Man, I'm in my, I'm in, I'm the king of the world. I'm, I'm here. Yeah, I'm safe. I'm with my buddies. I'm with my friends. But is it really safe? That's where your limbic system chooses. Now, your PFC chooses this, chooses values. Your PFC chooses values. See, so when your PFC and your limbic system are working in conjunction, guess what? You choose real safety. And you use your values. You know, if I do this, I do this, it's gonna lead me to this. Now, here's, here's the reality. When does the PFC fully develop in a young man? Any idea? Ricky, how old are you? It's great to have you back, by the way. Summer break. You're 18 years old. Somebody said no. <laughs> Somebody said no. Okay. Science, science tells us that the prefrontal cortex does not develop until the age of 25. Men, women, and it's, but hey, careful with the women because it's not as late, but it's late. Why do I bring this up? When you're young, how's your judgment? How's your judgment? This is science. I'm not, I'm not this isn't the Bible, this is science. Science has got to be true. If your prefrontal cortex is not fully developed, when you make a judgment, what should you do? What should you do? You should involve, you should involve older people in your life to make big decisions about relationships, about practices, about values. Because if you don't, you're gonna use what? what you, guess what is really strong when you're a teenager? Your limbic system is on fire. They, 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 they put these 
things on the brain and they measure it, the heat. And when you're a teenager, your limbic system is on fire. Woo! I'm excited. Or I'm really depressed. Ever notice that? That happened. I remember teenage, man. It's rough. Because you're riding that limbic system train that is up and down. It's like a roller coaster. And then you add some drugs and alcohol to it. Oh, man, it's just, it's like, it's like a hurricane. You don't know where you're going to end up. See, guys, what I'm trying to tell you is when you're younger, you need people involved in your life. And some of you are pushing those older people in your life away when it comes to judgment. Is that smart? Is that good company? And you're surrounding yourself with young people. Are other young people going to help you make good choices? I'm not trying to control you. I'm trying to help you make good, sound decisions that could affect the rest of your life. And the reality of it is, we've seen some really drastic consequences of this. It's not a game. This is real. You're going to destroy your friend's, friend's, friend's life. You're ruining people's lives by the decisions that you make. It's real. It's not a joke. God knows what he's talking about. Sin is real. It's not a church thing. It's real. It's ruining people. So what I want to encourage you to do is get other people involved in your decisions, relationships, Judgment, values, allow them in. When I started doing that at 21 years old, everything changed. I had two people that were ministers that I got advice from on a regular basis. Because I knew, man, I have no idea. I just proved it for 21 years. I just proved that I have no idea how to make good choices. So tell me what I should do. I like her. What should I do? No, don't say stay away. See, now that's what ruins everything. See, Jesus is not trying to tell you to stay away. He's trying to tell you to make good choices in your life. Now, here's one of the things that helped me a lot. I was on and we're coming up on, on summer break, right? I was on summer break in college, and there was a girl that I liked, but she liked me. And that doesn't always happen, does it, guys? And we worked together. She wasn't a Christian. She was pretty. And she'd come on strong. And so I, I, didn't, I didn't have judgment. And my sphere of close friends weren't around because I was back in my hometown, away from the people that were there to influence my life. And so what did I do? I made some new friends, and I said, hey, I went to church, and I said, hey, you're a follower of Jesus. What should I do? Man, greatest advice I ever got. You know what you should do with her? Invite her to church. Share your faith with her. Share your testimony with her. Tell her about your change. Okay, I'm going to do that. Did it. She was gone. She was gone. She didn't want to know church. She didn't want to know about my testimony. She was gone. 
No problem. Showed up at work the next day. Hey. And it was, she was cold as ice. You know what that told me? She has no. Do I need a relationship with somebody like that? I don't care how cute she is. Do I need a relationship with somebody like that? Girls, do you need a relationship with a guy who has no values? Who's going to tell you that? Oh, but he's so cute. And he works out. He's in shape. He makes good grades. Yeah, but he has no values. Do you want a relationship with that? You are going to be the consequence of no values. All right, now I'm talking to people, young people. Let me get everybody else involved, okay? You, you guys that are a little older. You know what? What concerns me about some of us in church is we're not, we're not honing in and sharpening our values. And let's talk about that. Now, Jesus talked about this really clearly. Anyone who loves his father, mother, or more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What is Jesus saying here? Is he anti-relationships? Is he anti-family? It can seem that way. In another version, in Luke's version, he says, if you don't hate your father, mother, you know, brother, sister, uh, you know, and you go, wow, that, that seems strong. Why is he saying that? Because of exactly what we're talking about, influence. See, these people can influence you in the wrong direction. And Jesus said, you have to reorder your influence. What's your greatest influence right now? And I'm going to give you some homework at the end. Who are the people that are most influential in your life right now? We got to talk about that. Because that may be what you think. But it's oftentimes to get a good perspective and say, is that what you think? And I say, uh, I don't know if you're letting me influence me as much as you think. You say the right things, but I don't know if you're just putting all the cards on the table so we can go through your deck. Let me talk to some of the adults. Who is your greatest influence? Are you allowing people into your life when you make big decisions? And is Jesus, and this is what he's talking about, is Jesus the greatest influence in your life? If he is, why are you doing and saying and living the way that you're living? Would Jesus want that in your life? Absolutely not. Okay, so we've got to come to our senses. Stop sinning, as Paul said. Wake up. Allow Jesus. So let me show it to you in a picture here. Jesus is a good influence. Now, this is church world. This is church world. Okay? I'm a Christian. I'm a member of the Lighthouse Church. Look at my sphere of influence. Look at all this that's in my, my sphere of influence. I got my parents. I got Jesus. I got the Bible. I got money. I got a bank account with some serious money in it. I got my spouse and kids. I got media. I got my phone. I got YouTube. I got Twitter. I got all I got my friends, coworkers. Everybody's in here. Everybody's in here. Who's in the center? Me. 
Who's the main influence in my life? My limbic system. Jesus is not in the center. That means I show up to church occasionally. I read my Bible occasionally. I pray occasionally. Why do we do these things? So we can check boxes? So we can say we're a good boy or a good girl? I'm a good Christian attender? Some of you concern me because you're, you're all, like, affected in the way you think. You're looking at this from the outside and trying to figure a way around it. No, the real deal is Jesus is not the primary relationship and the primary influence in your life. And what kind of character is that going to produce in you? What kind of marriage, what kind of family, what kind of life is it going to produce in you? And this is what can happen after you've been in a church for a long time. Because we figured out the system. We know how to play the game. If I do this, 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 and this, I'm a good boy. If I do this, 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 I'm a good girl. No, this is relational. This is relational. If you want this to work, it's got to be like this. It's got to be like this. Jesus has got to be at the center, that you will allow him, that you will say, hey, Jesus, I want you at the center of my decision-making process. If she's not the one for me, if he's not the one for me, then Jesus, make it clear. And the best way you can know if she is or he isn't exactly what I did, talk to them about your faith and about your conviction and draw the line. See what happens. You want to see some disappearing friends? It happens, man. I had a bunch of friends when I was growing up. Had a bunch. And you know how many I got still around? Two. Because they were real friends. The rest were acquaintances. And when I see them, yo, how you doing? That's it. They're my friends. Friends here are going to lead me in the right direction. But Jesus has got to be at the center and the Word of God. Okay? And, and, and you can have these things going on in your life, but they, they've got to be in the right place. And, and, and if it's not today, if I'm speaking to you and you're creating some uncomfortability, that's what church is supposed to be. Church is not supposed to be I feel good all the time. I come here to feel good. Peter, you make me feel good. I'm not here to make you feel good. I'm here to help you change your life. So you can be good all week, okay? So that tomorrow, tomorrow, you can be good. Nobody's watching, but you'll be good. Okay, look at what Paul said here. This is so awesome. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Does God want to hold a grudge, want to hold it against you, what you did last week, what you did the week before? Does he want to hold it against you? No, he doesn't, but he wants you to change. There needs to be real change. That times of what? Refreshing. Doesn't refreshing sound good? How hot was it yesterday? Man, it was hot. What's a good example of refreshment on a hot day? Air conditioning is awesome on a hot day. Isn't it? Ice cold beverage, fan, inside of you, inside of you. That's what God wants to bring. Will you let him? 
but you got to make the choices. You got to make the right choices. Okay, so let's wrap this up. Jesus, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Let's talk about the world's agenda. What is the world's agenda? Let's just be honest. What are a lot of people around us outside of our lives, what's their agenda? And you can see it. Just play it out. Play it out. Steal. Take what you got, your joy. Flip it around. Empty it. Kill and destroy. Relationships. Families are being destroyed because of the influence that we're allowing to affect our judgment and where we go. God wants to, Jesus is saying this, I have come. What have I come to do in your life? Control you? I have come that they may have life. And have it to what? Is joy included in that? Man, joy is all over that. Even as we talked about last week, joy in the hardship. Because when Jesus allows us to go through hardship, he knows, you know this, he's going to bring it to good. Something good's going to come from it. You can trust it. So I want to ask you, who are you going to trust? Who are you going to allow in your circle of influence when you make your choices? And if you're a guest here today, I just want to go ahead and say it. I want to invite you to study the Bible with the person that you came with. And if, they don't, if you don't trust them, the person that you came with, talk to me afterwards. I'll be standing right over there. And some of our other ministers will be right over there. We're happy to help. We got our elders here. Joe, he's happy to help. We got Dave. He's happy to help. We got other great people that are happy to help. But I believe your friend can help. Okay? But this is where it started for me, guys. I went to dinner at my sister's house, and I said, yes, I want to study the Bible because I'm sick of where my life is going. I got this bad company that's ruining my life. And I am the bad company. All right, so here's some homework for you. Ready? Write these down, okay? You have a pen? Can you borrow a pen? Maybe put it on your phone. These are really, really important. You have to do this evaluation for your sake, for your sake, okay? Number one, is there any company corrupting your good character? You have to put down names. It's on your newsletter. It's on your newsletter, but I, I like the fact that we write it down, we remember it. Okay, it's on your newsletter. Is there any company that's corrupting your good character? Let's just go through it. Friends at work, that girl who you like to flirt with, that guy who you like to flirt with, it's just a real weird pleasure that you get, but you know it's not heading in a good direction. It's actually pretty stupid. Who are they that are corrupting your good character? Okay? And then number two, identify how your present company impacts your good character. And you can have people, they can be in the church. And I've seen it going on. We, we form these groups in church and, and they're our friends and they're people that, you know, we, 
I can tell him, but I don't know if I want to tell him. And I'm going to pick and choose, cherry pick, as they call it. I'm going to pick him because he's going to tell me what I like to hear, and he won't be too hard, and he won't be too direct, and, you know, and whatever. How's it affecting your good character? I decided early on I want the best relationships. I want the best relationship with God. So I'm going to go to those people that are tough, tough. They're going to be straight up with me. I need those people in my life because my character needs some work. Okay, and then here's the last one. If you have a problem with number two, identify how your present company identifies your good character. If you've got a problem with this, you need some help. In other words, you need to get somebody involved to help you rearrange this. Okay? We're going to leave it with that. And then I'm just going to throw me up here on the screen. They're on your newsletter. Please go through these questions this week. These are four, eight questions to help you have four, eight thoughts. All right? Stuff's going to happen tomorrow, I promise you, that's going to get you thinking negative, faithless thoughts. These questions will help you. What are four family members that I enjoy dwelling upon? You know the ones, the good ones? Right? Not the bad ones, the good ones that I enjoy dwelling upon. And number two, who are the people I love the most and how does that make me feel? Man. Okay, it's already leading you that direction. And number three, and, and what, are my most grateful, what am I most grateful for about my health? Okay? Maybe your health is not great, but there's got to be something. Your appetite still works. Okay, whatever it is. And then number four, what are my top four lifetime accomplishments? What are my four most recent victories? Who can I encourage and build up in the next 48 hours? And who are the people who tend to bring out the best in me? Now, let me just say this in conclusion of our lesson. We want to have good influences in our lives, right? But let me say this to you as a church member. You need to be a good influence on the people around you. And some of you are checked out. You're on, you're on Christian vacation. In other words, you walk in and you're just like everybody else. There's no joy. There's no conversation. You just... You're there. Jesus is calling us to be the influence. Remember the virus. Spread the virus. Talk to people. If you don't open your mouth, they'll never know. And it gives us more reason to realize my friends, 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 life depends on it. Depends on it. If you change, somebody else is going to change and they're going to change, and they're going to change. You're going to affect somebody's family 10, 20 years from now by the good choices that you make. Okay? We're done. I'm so glad you were here today. If you didn't like it, come and tell me about it. What you did like, come and tell me about it. Uh, we really, really, really want to produce a life that God has in store for us, our true design so, so today, I uh, hope you have a, an incredible day. Have those conversations, okay? Talk it out, what you're feeling. If you're mad, sad, whatever it is. But let's be 4 eight this, this, uh, this week. Pray with me, and then you're all dismissed. This young man's ready to go. He's hungry.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word that is so powerful. Thank you that science is finally catching up with some of your principles. We pray for more. Father, pray that you'll please help uh, these very smart people to be truly smart and understand the way you designed us. And we just ask you, God, help us this week to be the people that produce joy and infect and change the world that we live in. We love you, God. We lift up Jesus right now. Help us and be with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you all. Have a great day.